1 John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. These fine gentlemen will get you one. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. In uh, 1 John 3, I would need you to keep your place there, and then you're also going to turn over to 1 John 4 in a second. But I also want you to keep your finger in Romans 8. Romans 8. 1 John 3 and Romans 8. 1 John 3, Romans 8. And would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and then we can sit for the word of the teacher. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, we're only going to do one verse this morning out of 1 John 3.1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. It did not know Him. There's a song that goes, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Have you ever heard it? No? Okay. Some have. Good. All right. I haven't heard it sung like that. Now, the Scripture commands us to behold, so that means we're going to stop and grasp it. Don't go any further till you understand this. That's why we're only doing one verse. But I do want us to look at 1 John 4, 8, because it gives us insight into 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. That ties in with 1 John 3, 1 that says, Therefore, the world doesn't know us because they didn't know him. Why didn't they know him? Because they didn't know love. Oh, pastor, the world knows love. No, they don't. No, they do. No, they don't. What about the song, All You Need Is Love? (laughs) Yeah, they don't know it. Oh, but pastor, I was watching television the other day. They were making love. Yeah, no, they don't know it. I'll explain real quick. Romans 8, then I'll let you sit down. Romans 8, verse 12. Apostle Paul writing, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Sons of God. God. He's going to be your Father. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of what? Adoption. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, which means Papa or Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Anybody want an inheritance? My godfather gave me $36,000. My daughter spent it all for the wedding. Uh, But I I like to be an heir. Amen? Amen? Although it wasn't an heir. He's still alive. Uh, Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And then it says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So those are our passages, and we'll take a look at them. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And thank you, God, for such a precious fellowship. And I go through a, a congregational meeting and have just a handful of questions that aren't even contrary and just a joy and a faithfulness. And Lord, I, I'm just so privileged to be the pastor of this church. So Lord, would you bless the folks today through the study of your word. And Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Show us what love is, God, that we behold what manner of love that you speak of. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. Well, as I said earlier, we have to just stop at this one verse because the Scripture commands us to do that. We've been doing a study through the epistle of, of 1 John, uh, and now we come to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and the very first word says, Behold. It means 
take a hold, completely understand, grasp it before you move on. It's almost like the term you have in, in the Psalms. It says, Selah. It says, meditate on this. This concept of behold. You need to get this or you won't understand anything else. Grasp this. And what is it we grasp? He says, well, you grasp what manner of love that God the Father has bestowed. It's a treasure. He's bestowed on you this kind of love that would declare you and me to be children of God. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that God speaks of? What kind of love is this that he would bestow, treasure us with, that we could then be declared children of God, that our spirit would bear witness with his, and we would cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, that we're adopted, that we're heirs, joint heirs with Christ. I mean, that's a powerful name that under heaven there's no other name in which we be saved, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is, that's our brother, and we're joint heirs with him. A lot of you know I have four homegrown kids, one grafted. Natasha's right in the middle. We, we adopted her from Russia when she was 12. She's 19 now. Four homegrown, one grafted. I remember being in Russia, and Natasha, at 12 years of age, she wasn't pro- probably completely sure what she was doing, but she said, yes, that I want them to be my parents. We agreed to it. She may not have known what she was doing, but we knew what we were doing. We knew what we were doing. And the laws of the land that when you adopt a child, they're, they're stronger than, than uh, biological bonds. Natasha immediately is a, is a joint heir of, of, of my estate, which that's not much, but that's neither here nor there. She's, a, she, she has, she's an heir to the estate. She has full standing as any other child, having been adopted. We always joke that she was Michelle's largest baby and longest delivery. And she's my little girl. I love her. I remember when I went to see her and, and where she was. I, when I met her first here in the States. I went back to the place where she had lived for many years in the orphanage. It was, it was awful. I remember that my heart broke. That's my little girl. And you, you know when you sign up to adopt a 12-year-old that's gone through watching her parents leave when she was young and her grandfather die and her grandmother burn down the house and her aunt go through trauma and, and then being put as a ward of the state and never allowing them to have custody and she's raised in an orphanage and you see the orphanage, you know that little 12-year-old comes with some baggage. But nothing can separate her from my love. She will always be my girl. She'll always be my daughter. Always. And the Bible says... He has been placed in the Father's hand. No man can remove. Nobody takes dad's kids. You come messing with my daughter, you're going to be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. Right? And, and that's, that's how it is. That's how the Father feels about you. You're adopted. It's no different. He's, he's given you the keys to the kingdom just like he gave his son. The son whom he loves who's been with him since the foundation of the world. By him, for him, through him, all things have been created. And and you see this love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we would be called the children of God, that we would be adopted. And then it goes on to say that the world doesn't know us because they don't know him. And why don't they know him? We saw in 1 John 4, it says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The reason why the world can't recognize us in this manner of love is because the world doesn't know love. That's why they don't know God. And you say, oh, no, pastor, the world knows love. No, they don't. No, they don't. 
It's not making love. It's called fornication. It's called adultery that you see and depicted on, on the television. I'll show you how confused the world is. I'll use our own language. I'll use one word, and you'll see how confused our culture is. I love my wife, and I love my job. Does it mean the same thing? I hope not. I have a great job and a lousy marriage. How about this? How about this? Let's try a little. I love my wife and I love my brother. Same thing? I mean, I, I got a great brother. Nine years older, sweet as can be. Great brother. I love him, but not like I love my wife. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Same word, same word, different meaning all three times. So the world's confused about love. The world's confused about love. That's why they can't see God, for God is love. But behold what manner of love that the Father's bestowed on to us. So if, if we're going to know God, we need to know love, for God is love. And then we need to know what manner he's bestowed on us, because the Bible commands us to behold it. So we're going to do that today. But we're all ignorant, so we're going to need a little bit of an education. It's one of my favorite messages. I've done this in, in, in public schools for years. And today is Abstinence Sunday, so you get a part of it. And, that, and God ordained it. I didn't even schedule it. But here's how we behold it. When the Greeks thought about the concept of love, they didn't ascribe one word like we do in the English language. They, they gave four words. And all four are found in the, in the New Testament. When people say, no, Eros isn't found in the New Testament, you're right. Eros isn't found in the New Testament as Eros because that was the concept of a god, small g, the god of Eros. So the scriptures, they wouldn't put that in. But it is found in a derivative called Aaron, which is the idea of sexual immorality. So it is in the scriptures. And Storge is in there in Romans 12.10, and then we see an abundance of agape, and we see a picture of phileo, especially in John 21. But the scripture demands us to behold what manner of love. So let's, let's try to see what manner of love that God wants us to grasp that would allow us to be called the children of God. The first love we're going to cover that's in the New Testament is called Eros. Eros. Now, there's three things about Eros that you need to write down if you want to keep track today, if you're note takers. Uh, the first one about Eros is that it's a selfish love. It's all about me. Some of you are going, ooh, I like this love. Keep talking. It's selfish. It's all about me. And secondly, Eros is never intended for people. It's never intended for people. It's always for objects. It's always for objects. Always for objects. Never for people. Objects only, never people. But there was a contradiction that the Greeks had. And the contradiction was this. Remember, it's a love that's selfish, only intended for objects, never for people. But here was the contradiction. They said, this is the love that a newborn baby has for its mother. Now, the contradiction is the mother's not an object, is she? She's a human being, right? Now, were the Greeks stupid? No, they were brilliant. And here's why. When you have a newborn baby, they make noises either and, and always results in a mess, right? <laughs> right? And these kids are selfish, aren't they? They're born at odd hours. They hurt you when they come out. They look like wet rats. <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and they make messes and they want to be fed at the most ridiculous hours of the night. They're irritating, quite frankly. They're hard to care for. They require selflessness because they're so selfish. And, and uh, when a child is born and it screams at 2 o'clock in the morning, number one, the child is selfish. It's all about the baby. Number two, 
the, the, the child doesn't uh, the, the, the child doesn't look at the mother as as a human being. The child looks at the, the mother as an object for its survival. The mom's the milk wagon, right? Hook me up. That's all I want from you. Hook me up. Change me. Right? Now that's a that's a that's a selfish love, and it's only intended for objects. Now, what the Greeks showed us is human beings can love other human beings with this love. There's just one catch. We have to reduce their intrinsic value being the pinnacle of God's creation to being that of an object. For example, have our women dress like objects and our men treat them like objects? Sound familiar? What do we get from the word eros? We get the word erotic. Where you can go further with pornea, this idea of erotic, visual, objects for pleasure. When a man or a woman's looking at pornography, they, they're not saying, you know, I didn't know that 86% of the pornographic industry is driven by drug addiction and most of these women are from broken and runaway homes. No, no, no. They're not human beings. They're objects for the person's pleasure and they take. Eros takes, it never gives. It always takes, it never gives. It's a love that takes. Now, Eros is a good way to get connected with a relationship because you look across the room and you go, and when I saw Michelle, that was good. That was good. And, and, I, and she still does it. So, okay. Let's get back to where we were. Sorry. So, I didn't do that the other services, I swear. Um, she's flustered me, that woman. She's captivating. Now, Eros love is a selfish love, and it takes... And so that's where we get this idea of erotica, uh, images. And, and they're not human beings, they're objects for our pleasure. And that's a culture that takes and destroys, never gives. Pornography, I mean, you think about it. Pornography, every depiction of it is humiliating, um, violent, uh, degrading, punishing. It's angry, it's, it's forceful, there's, there's not tenderness, there's not intimacy. Because God created the sexual act between a husband and a wife as an expression of intimacy, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That, that you would have this expression of where your heart's been knitted over these 15 procedures, these, these 15 segments of, of intimacy that you build over time before you ever get to the sexual act. And there's 200 hours invested in each. I've watched Molly and Micah for almost four years grow as friends, and, and God's calling them to this place. They're both chased and ready to give their heart to each other and their lives to each other. But they've worked through this process. So they know each other. I mean, if a relationship begins in bed, you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out who it is you got married to. And when trials come, you don't even know who this person is. And, and this, is, this is why God gave us this, this gift of sex so that we can express ourselves intimately. But intimacy doesn't come through erotica. Intimacy is taking. It's a love that takes. It's not a love that gives. And it reduces God's creation to being that of an object. Now, it's the lowest form of love, but it's the most prolific form of love in our culture today. And that is not what God commanded us to behold. That's not the manner of love that the Father has given unto us. That doesn't hold a family together. That's worthless. As a matter of fact, erotic or eros love destroys families if it isn't put in check. Because it's all about you. It's selfish. And, and I'll, I'll sleep with the secretary if it means me being happy. And no matter if I, no man starts out going, you know, today's the day I'm going to commit adultery and ruin my marriage and have my kids spend Christmas at somebody else's house calling him daddy. 
And Eros begins selfishly. Every little step of it. Now when the scripture says, behold what manner of love, there's another love, it's called storge. It's found in Romans 12.10. Storge is familial love. It's the love we have as a family of Christ. It says in, in Romans 12, it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, um, in honor giving preference to one another. It's this idea that we dwell together as a family. It's the love you have for your family. Your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, it's, it's a love that you commit to a family. And that's how God commands us in Romans 12.10 to be as a church. Now, granted, Calvary Chapel doesn't do membership, but one of the things that bugs me, and the reason why we don't do membership is because the church was stuffy and old back when Calvary Chapel started, and people looked at membership as their relationship to the Lord, and it was anything but that. And they would hold pride that I'm a member of the First Presbyterian Church of the corner of arrogance and evil. And, you know, <laughs> but now, now... We have a relationship with the Lord, but what we found, what we found is people look at a church from a consumer mentality because we've been running the church like a business so long instead of a family that we, we now call you giving units and we want to have a seeker-sensitive model where we can appeal to your felt needs so that we can market it properly. Well, you run a church like a business, then what, what you win people with is what you win them to, and now the church is a business. Well, it's not supposed to be a business. It's a family, storge, a love for one another. You don't shop a church. You covenant with a church and you stick it out. If, if you left a church the way you leave your family, or you leave your family the way you left a church, we'd, we'd be decimated. Somebody said something wrong to me, or they turned aside, or they weren't nice to me, or they, I can't believe the pastor didn't call me on my birthday. Or uh, I, Just give it time. I will let you down many times. But that's what family does. We stick it out. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4. That's storge. But that's not what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us either. That's not what the Scriptures speak of. As important as it is, it's not the manner of love that's been bestowed on us. I'll tell you what the manner of love is. And, and there's, there's one that, that reaches into two. The love that is written here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, is what we call agape. Agape is the reverse of eros. What is Eros? Remember, it was selfish. It was only for objects. It was the baby's love for the mother. Well, agape is selfless. Selfless. It, it gives. And it's, it's only intended for human beings, never for anything else, not even animals. I'm sorry for some of you who are upset by that. I love my dog, too. I, if there's, if, if my dog will be in heaven. He has the gift of hospitality. He greets you with a holy kiss every time you come in. <laughs> And, and uh, he's an amazing animal. But, but God hasn't given me agape for that dog. That dog is instinctual. It doesn't have what we have as a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. And, and, it, and y- you know what? We love to think as dogs as humans, but that's a destruction of a culture, by the way. I mean, there's that park in Washington, D.C. that no longer allows children. It's only for dogs because it's an affluent area. Because dogs love us. You know, you know why? Pets are a little easier to care for than children. I remember taking my dachshund into the vet, and we've even trained our vets to look at dogs as human. And I went in, and they're going, it's going to be $9,000 for surgery because he's, you know, he's, he's paralyzed in the back quarter of his body, and we're going to redo and put titanium, and, and we're gonna, as he's telling me with his gold Rolex and the diamonds, and we're going to do this thing here, and we're going to get the dog up, and, and we can uh, arrange finance plans for you. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, what about the shot that puts a dog down? <laughs> oh, well, Mr. McCoy, why don't you sit over in this room and just contemplate the heaviness of that decision because, you know, the dog, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm sorry. What are they teaching in vet school? 
That's nine grand. I, I have college to pay for my kids. I, I love my dog. I just took my dog. I walked out. I fashioned a harness. I made it myself. I'd walk the dog around with a harness. <laughs> I'd go to the bathroom and the lawn, and I'd bring it back in. It would just sit there and wouldn't move. And then he'd let me know when I had unharnessed him out again and bring him back in. He's just walking on the front, too, going, this is so cool. This is so cool. And you know what? He healed himself. Six weeks. Nine grand saved. So I'm not here to tell you I don't love animals. I do. But animals are not people. I love my animals. But put it into perspective. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. So we have to behold it. What is it that he's bestowed onto us? It's agape. What is agape? It's a selfless love only intended for humans. And it's the love that the mother has for the baby. It's two o'clock in the morning. She's exhausted. She hurts. She has stitches where she never knew she had before. Right? What does she do? She gets up. She loves on that baby. And kids at that age, they're just like, (laughs) no fun. And you're like, who does it look like? I don't know. Uncle Pug? I'm not sure. They just, they're like, hey, what's up? Molly, she looked like Jean-Luc Picard. She had these huge hematomas, like, pretty now, but ugly baby. Ugly baby. Yeah, just telling you, cute, cute. I mean, she was my baby. That's a baby. (laughs) Adorable now. Thank God she grew into all that. No, she she was a pretty baby. But this is the mother's love for the baby, and it's selfless. It's selfless. And this is what the father's declaring. See, Jesus said with agape, he said, Greater agape has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus said in John 14, uh, excuse me, John 3, 16, For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and, 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 and gave us his life and served us unto death. You see, agape, listen, Agape is the highest form of love a human being can give. You can't give anything else than all of you. I give you my life. You see, come Saturday, Molly and Michael will be up here before God Almighty and before witnesses. And Michael will say to Molly, I give you my life. Molly will say to Michael, I give you my life. Bible says a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And the Bible says unless a man loses his life, he won't gain it. We, in, we see in Corinthians when it talks about um, the husband's body does not belong to him but belongs to the wife. And the wife's body doesn't belong to her but belongs to the husband. And so the idea is when is sex supposed to be given? Whenever it's asked for. It's not supposed to be a tool where you argue. It's this opportunity of intimacy that you serve one another to avoid sexual immorality. And this is that gift of serving one another, agape, laying your life down. And you go through that process to learn how to lay your life down. This is the manner of love that the Father's bestowed on us. But it's a little deeper, and it goes into our fourth love, and I'll, I'll finish here shortly. The fourth love is called phileo. Phileo has been misunderstood to be brotherly love. Brotherly love and familial love is storge. 
And the reason why we're mistaken with phileo is because we've heard of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's not. It's deeper. Just look at the discourse in John 21 between Jesus and Peter, and you see the transition with agape and phileo. It has nothing to do with brotherly love. Philippians chapter 2 says, Having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. You see, there's three things about phileo love. Number one, it's mutual. Number two, it's only intended for humans, and there is a formula. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because you better pay attention. It it is the highest form of love you will ever experience. And there's a formula to achieve it. And the formula is this. A plus A equals phileo. Remember, it's a mutual love. Having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. A, A is for agape. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave his life as a propitiation for our sins. He initiated, he died, he laid his life down. What do we do? We respond by saying, God, you love me, I give you my life. That's why a relationship with Christ, where the groom or we're the, we're the bride and he's the groom. That's why marriage is a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church. Uh, Micah says, I give you my life. Molly says, I give you my life. She responds to his initiation. And the Bible says the two become one flesh. Mutual love. So for example, 23 years of marriage for me with this wedding ring, I can tell you that after 23 years of marriage, Michelle can start a sentence, I can finish it, or vice versa, we can be in a crowded room, she could be opening up gifts on her birthday, none of you in the room will have a clue, but based on the movement of her eye, I know whether she loves a gift or hates it. That is phileo love, the two becoming one flesh. You represent each other well. Two examples that I'm finished this morning, the first one is a friend of mine, his name's Jeff, I, I worked with him years ago when I was much younger. Jeff, had a, his wife is Heidi. I haven't talked to him in years. Jeff was an amazing guy. A super chiseled, really buff, handsome. I saw pictures of him in high school. He's like, I called him Captain No Pimple. He's like, he's captain of the football team. I was like goalie for the dark team. It was awful. Was like acne laden, you know. Anyways, sorry. But, but Jeff at, uh, was, was raised in a public school. And Heidi was raised in a public school. And, and they both, interestingly enough, did what our kids are doing right now over in, in the room next door in the youth room. They sat through an abstinence message. And they, they understood the, the need for purity and, and chastity. And so, so Jeff, at the age of 12 or 13, made a commitment to remain a virgin until marriage. And Heidi did the same thing at around 12 or 13. They both married at 26 and I was sharing the story in a public school one time, and I told him this. I said, the very first time that Jeff ever kissed a woman romantically and the very first time Heidi ever kissed a man romantically was at the altar before God and witnesses when they exchanged vows, and they said, I do. The very first time they, had a, they experienced a sexual experience was when they crossed the honeymoon threshold. And, and that was it. They didn't have to worry about pregnancy. They didn't have to worry about sexually transmitted diseases. They hadn't been with anyone else. And they were looking forward to pregnancy because that's what you do in marriage, Right? And, and I, I shared that. And this kid was in the front row of this public high school, and he was hilarious, and all the girls thought he was super cute. And he, back then, the style was, you know, pants down, underwear up, and it was just kind of, you know. And the kid, he was, he was pretty funny, too. I really in, I appreciate him. And I wasn't allowed to invoke the name of God or speak about Scripture, but he invoked the name of God, so I was allowed to respond to it. And he said this to me. He goes, I got two questions for you. And all the girls are going, <laughs> he's so cute. And I go, okay, what is it? And he goes, you know, 
I'm studying my physiology class at the four, four most intense drives of a male. You know, you got air, you can go about three minutes without air, and then you got water, you can go about three days without water, and then food, you go about four days without food. And I hear like, number four is like the sex drive. It's like really intense for a male. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I hear, too, that a male's sex drive peaks at the age of 18. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, and then I was also thinking, just, I read somewhere that a male, has, a male adolescent has a sexual thought every 15 or 18 seconds. It's not real big or major or minor, but they think about it a lot. I mean, I do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And girls, hey, he's so cute. And I'm like, weirdo. And uh, I go, yeah, that's right. He goes, okay, here's my question then. I go, okay, what is it? Actually, two questions. I go, okay, what are they? He goes, first question is, uh, don't you test drive a car before you buy it? <laughs> and all the girls are going, <laughs> and then he goes, and then the next question is, if this is true about all these physiological aspects, why would God make you this way, make you uh, as an adolescent, 12 or 13 years of age when you're sexually aware, and say, wait, and this guy waits until he's 26, 13 years, and misses his sexual peak, uh, why would God do that? Is he cruel or something? That kid stumped me. I go, well, let me answer your first question. <laughs> yes, you do test drive a car before you buy it. But if I'm not mistaken, a car is an object. And all the girls go, Yes. And he goes, okay, I got you. I go, cool, all right. He goes, well, what about my second question? It's a good question. But I was praying the whole time because it says in James, if you lack wisdom, and I just said, God, help me. And God said, ask him about his dad. It was the coolest thing. Not an audible voice, but I, it was a huge impression. And I looked at him, I said, um, yeah, you got a good dad? He's like, no, he's a jerk. Oh. Uh, is, he, is he a good husband to your mom? No, he's a jerk. He left my family. Why? What's that have to do with it? I'm kind of like, yeah, Lord, what does that have to do with it? (laughs) And the Lord whispers to my heart and says, tell him about Jeff. Now, I had working knowledge of Jeff. He's my friend. And I said, the reason why God made you this way, my answer to you is Jeff. And the kid goes, what do you mean? I go, let me tell you about Jeff. A guy who takes the fourth most intense drive he possesses as a male, puts it on hold from the age of 12 to 26, misses his sexual peak, lays his life down to keep himself safe. Safe, Webster's Dictionary says, free from harm or danger, 0% chance. Just turn around a condom box and read it. It's not safe. It's not free from harm or danger. And they'll never invent a condom that'll protect your heart. And And I looked at him and I said, A guy like Jeff, who takes the fourth most intense drive he possesses, puts it on hold from 12 to 26. I said, let me tell you about Jeff. He works a 60-hour work week and still makes it to all of his kids' soccer games and and sports games. I've been at his house. He's a Raider fan. I'm a Charger fan. We were watching a Raider football game. It was fourth quarter. The score was tied. There was a minute remaining on the clock. His team was within the 10-yard line getting ready to score. We were glued to the television set. His wife comes through the door with groceries and kids hanging on him. He turned off the TV and helped her in with the groceries. I'm like, dude, I'm not even a Raider fan. What are you doing? (laughs) Most women would faint. He helps her in with the groceries. I was at his house for dinner party. Dinner was over. He started helping with the dishes. Most women really would go into cardiac arrest. (laughs) This was my favorite, though. This was by far my favorite. His two-year-old son comes into the room during a party, with a diaper so filled, it was leaking. It was so nasty, he would walk by people and they go, oh, 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 oh. 
plants were wilting, birds were falling out of the sky, everybody's eyes are watering, it's like toxic coming through, and, and it's Moses parting the Red Sea, and this kid's like, <laughs> and as he's walking towards Jeff, if that was my kid, I go, hey, uh, go find your mother. <laughs> Jeff said, hey, buddy, let's go change that diaper. Why? From 12 to 26, he was denying himself for the sake of another human being, learning how to serve. You want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. He's learned how to be a father and a husband. I turned to that kid and I said, how would you have liked to have had a dad like that? And how would you like to have your mom have a husband like that? He goes, yeah. Yeah. I said to that kid, I said, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. And God wants to do that in your life. And, and bless that kid's heart. He was responsive to it. And I told him one more thing. I said, I can relate to you because I wish I had had a dad like Jeff. I told him I wish my mom had a husband like Jeff. My, my dad wasn't awful, but he'd had some struggles. And we weren't a Christian home. We didn't grow up in church. And I remember my, the sex talk I had with my dad. I was 14. He goes, you getting any? That was my talk. I'm like, Get it? getting any what? I'm like, what, what are you? I mean, it was so odd. It was just weird. And I, do I talk to him? Do I respond? What do I say? What, 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 it was weird. And that was it. And I modeled, my dad committed adultery, you know. And, and my mom struggled. She drank. She was an alcoholic for a season. And, and I, I, at 16 years of age, I, I get a job as a lifeguard on the beach in Coronado. First city beach lifeguard at that age. I know it's hard to believe I was a lifeguard. I looked like a buoy, but I was a lifeguard. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember girls were everywhere. And we were nine miles from the Mexican border. I, I was drunk most of that summer. We'd go down to Mexico and party. I was with these older lifeguards. And there's this one girl I met on the beach. Uh, her parents were fully Italian. They'd immigrated to the United States. They'd spent half the summer in Italy and half the summer in Coronado. They lived in the L.A. area, and they were very wealthy. And we went out, and I, I, I asked her, I said, hey, when are we going to sleep together? And she said, I'm saving myself for the man that loves me. Behold, what manner of love? Well, I, I didn't know love. I didn't know God. I didn't have a clue. What do you think I said to her? Yeah. That's all I got to say to get what I want. And I did. And we did. And of course, relationships reduce the least common denominator. And you get tired of it. And everything revolves around that. And it is. It's not the way God intended it. And so we broke up. And I went back to being a jerk. She went, back to Italy. She went off to Italy. I remember coming home from work. And the phone rings. It's an Italian operator. And then she gets on the line. I'm like, what are you calling me for? It's over. We broke up. She goes, I'm pregnant. I go, it's not my fault. She goes, you're the only man I've been with. I said, fine. We'll deal with it when you get back. I set up the appointment at the abortion clinic for the Friday that she'd return. Had it all set, and I met with her. I said, I took care of it. I got the appointment at the abortion clinic all set up. Because her dad was this huge Italian guy. He had muscles in places where I don't have places. And he would kill me. And when he was done killing me, I think my dad would resurrect me and kill me again. <laughs> Listen, I was scared to death. And that wasn't a baby to me. It was an object of inconvenience. And she said, I've had my period. I'm not pregnant. I said, great, I'll see you later. She goes, no, you won't. You're a jerk. I said, so are you. And I, I left. And that was an awful summer for me. And God brought me to a place where he met me. And he bestowed on me a manner of love that transformed my life. It was the summer I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
And I asked him to forgive me and to cleanse me of my unrighteousness and to teach me how to love human beings, not as objects, but as the pinnacle of, of God's creation. And he did that. And on April 21st, 1990, Michelle and I married. Michelle had gone through the same kind of struggle I'd gone through. Her father used to, her biological father used to chase her mom through the house with a broken bottle. Scared to death she'd be hiding in the closet, fearful for her life. Didn't know a Christian home, didn't know agape. Certainly knew Eros. Saw the destruction in the family. We both came to Christ married. God restored our lives. We felt what love, what manner of love the Father bestowed on us. We had agape and, and phileo, and it was precious. And I remember, uh, we hadn't been married very long, and Michelle was like fertile myrtle. I just looked at her, and she got pregnant. <laughs> and she comes to me, and she says, I'm pregnant. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited to have a child. And I, we'd had a name picked out for a boy, a name picked out for a girl. And we go to Dr. Teresa Avance, a real neat Christian woman, to get the trimester checkup to find out the sex of the baby. She's working the device on Michelle's stomach, and I'm looking at her going, come on, doc, boy or girl, let's go, come on. And we're super excited. I'm holding her hand, you know, stars in the room. And all of a sudden, I look at Dr. Avance, and her eyes are welling up with tears. And then I'm confused, and she looks at me, and she looks down at Michelle. Gravity takes a tear. She says, Michelle, Rob, I'm sorry, but your baby's died. And Michelle squeezed my hand. It was sad. I mean, that was my baby. They took my wife in for a DNC. It's called a dilatant cuterage. It's the same procedure as an abortion, but in this case, our baby was already dead. This routine procedure that any teenager in California can receive without parental permission. Can't give them Advil, but we can give them a DNC. We are a culture of death. They took my wife in for this routine procedure. And she hemorrhaged so horribly that they rushed her to ICU. And she came past me, and her eyes were rolled back in her head. Her body was ashen gray. You couldn't see where her face ended and her lips began. I could see the tear in the eyes of the doctors as they were wearing the mask. Something went horribly wrong. She goes by me. I've seen dead people, and I thought she was dead. I sat down in the seat and began to cry. And I just said, God, please don't take her. And they transfused her and all kinds of stuff, stabilized her, and they, they called me in to see her. 23 years ago. It's like it was yesterday. Came around the corner. And she had tubes run in and out of her body. And her hair was thrashed. And her lips were cracked from dehydration. And her eyes were rolled back in her head. She's still ashen gray. I held her hand. It was ice cold. And I... I tell you, she would never make it on the cover of of any glamour magazine, but she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I remember just telling her, please don't die. I can't live without you. And she lived. But in that moment, and I'll close with this, in that moment, the Lord asked me another question. It was so profound that it brought me to a place to really grasp and behold what manner of love God said this to me, Rob, what's the difference? Lord, Rob, what's the difference between the child that you wanted to get rid of and the one you're weeping over? Lord, uh, that was an object of inconvenience that I would get rid of to protect myself from being beaten up by the big Italian guy. 
this was my baby. I'm that baby's papa. I love that child like you love me. It's a baby, Lord. Created in your image. It's a blessing from you. It was at that moment that I beheld what manner of love. And then Michelle lived, but our baby died. And I thought about that as I looked at this contrast that God gave me. And as painful as this day was when I lost my baby and I almost lost my wife, I wouldn't give up one day of this for a thousand of these. A free and easy lifeguard. Because on this day when I lost my baby and I almost lost my wife, I've never felt more loved and more human in all my life. Sex is what can I get. Love is what can I give. That's what manner of love the Father's bestowed on us. The world will know we're Christians by our love for one another. It's not a game. We're not here to take and destroy. We're here to give and to lay our life down as a ransom for the many. That's how the world will know God. Because we love the way He loves. It's not an object of inconvenience. It's not a blob of tissue. It's a baby. And it's to be loved and to be cherished and to be cared for. I'm not here to condemn those who've aborted. I'm here to encourage you with conviction to change the world. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we would be called the children of God. To whom much is given, much is required. We're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Live accordingly. I'll, I'll show you this. A couple comes in, sits down in my office. They're in, going through marriage counseling, struggles. Doesn't always happen this way, but most of the time. I'll turn to the wife, I'll go, what's wrong? She'll say, he doesn't appreciate me. He treats me like an object. I'm sick of it. I go, okay. She's crying. I say to the husband, what's wrong? He goes, man, I work 60 hours a week, bust home. She says I treat her like an object. I'm sick of it. I go, okay. I turn to the wife. I go, when did you give your husband permission, permission to treat you like an object? Her tears turned to anger. Never. I never gave him permission to treat me like an object, never. I go, okay. I turn to the husband. Did you guys sleep together before you're married? Yeah, so what? Who doesn't? I turn to the wife. That's when you gave him permission to treat you this way, when you said you weren't worth waiting for and you could be treated like an object. We're Christians. We do it differently. We've been created in the image of God, so is everyone else on this earth, and we teach them how to love. And they'll know we're Christians by our love for one another. We have to behold this if we're going any further in this text. This is who we are and this is how we love. Amen? Amen. Amen. So behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on you and me that we will be called the children of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity through your word of who you are, your love. What that love means and how that love operates. and It's a love that gives. And so, Lord, we thank you for agape and phileo, storge, even, Lord, eros, when it's done correctly. And we praise you, Lord, and we thank you. Bless your people that we would walk in this love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Listen, a message this tough, you've got to pray it in. And there's going to be some heartache with a number of you. And when I came face to face with a lot of this, the first thing I did was call my pastor. I, call, I just started to pray with folks. 
God wants to do that with you. I'm going to have these prayer folks come up, and we're going to close with a song of worship. Even if there's a need or there's somebody in your family that this touched you and you want to intercede on their behalf, get up here and pray. Don't leave here without doing business with the Lord. Let God minister. This is a great time. Give it, give it legs. Amen? Let's stand and worship the Lord. Take opportunity to come on up and pray. God bless you guys.
bless you. If you would like prayer, there'll still be folks up here waiting to pray with you, so come, come up here and we'll pray with you.